as I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up. You're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. Good morning, ladies, powerful women. How are you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Thank you all. If you could just take like maybe 30 seconds or maybe a minute to just uh, introduce yourselves um, to the, the listening public. My name is Barbara Fair, and I'm born and raised in New Haven. Um, doing social justice work seemed like my entire life, and I know it'll definitely end um, doing this work. So thank you very much for uh, showing up today, ladies. You want to go to Trine? Hello, everyone. Um, Representative Trine McGee. Um, I currently represent the 116th District, which is majorly West Haven, a little area of New Haven. Um, with redistricting, it would only be West Haven, um, born and raised in West Haven, and it's an honor to represent the district that I was raised in, um, and by by career and passion as well, I'm an artist, I'm an actress and writer, producer, and uh, that's it. Thank you. Representative Porter, you're next on my list. Uh, thank you and good morning and thank you for having us, Miss Barbara. My name is represent, well, my name is Robin Porter. I am the state representative for the 94th district, representing Hamden and New Haven. I chair the labor committee and I also sit on the appropriations and judiciary committees. I am a proud mom and grandmother and just a lover of, of all things and all people. Thank you. Barbara, you're next and then Sauter. Yeah, hi, I'm Barbara Walker, uh, born and raised in New Haven, um, former retired uh, probation officer, now getting back into social services issues and the things I love to do, former all the person of the War 30, um, just trying to get back out there and make a difference in my community. Thank you. Miss mm-hmm. Baraka. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Sauda Baraka, and um, I'm a, a longtime community activist out of Bridgeport. I've been working in New Haven for probably 15 years with Believe in the Empowerment. I'm the board chair. Um, I've also served in political office. I was on the Board of Education for 12 years and also the chairman of the chairperson of the Board of Education, as well as um, I served 19 years on the Bridgeport Library Board and was the uh, vice president of that board. Um, I am a retired chief probation officer having um, uh, managed and uh, supervised the Bridgeport office. Um, Community is my passion. I work for the people. I'm committed to the people and I'm committed to change in our community for the betterment of our families and our children. Thank you. And now you can see why I have these powerful women um, today to talk about issues um, having to do with our people in our communities and our families. So I, I want to start off, I'm, I know I'm going to have to go quick because I uh, want to spend a lot of time at the end talking about this election se- season. But before then, I want to talk about, um, um, I, and I, I guess Robin probably have more update information, the methadone clinic that they're trying to bring into New Haven um, again, trying to bring another methadone program in New Haven that we've already did research and found that it's uh, service mostly white male men from the suburbs. And we already have a couple of those clinics here now who have brought so much destruction to our communities, one right next door to an elementary school where suburbs were not ever even thought about, yet we have it. And now they wanna bring another one. And so um, I just want to have Robin update us on that. And, and my, my feeling is until we have the same resistance that the suburbs have, we will forever get anything that they don't want in their community will be pushed to our cities. And how do we get the power to stop that? 
Thank you, Robert. So if you can update us on what's going on now with uh, the methadone clinic they're trying to put right on Whaley Avenue. I will. I just wanted to jot down something because I want to circle back on um, the latter piece of your statement. Uh, we actually had a community uh, meeting, community forum last night that was held at Lincoln Bassett Community School. Um, the mayor came out, myself, uh, Senator Winfield was there. We had um, some alders that came, um, um, all the Devin Absalon Smith, we had um, all the Edwards. Uh, there were, were some other alders there that weren't in the district, but definitely are concerned um, about what's happening. And there has been a groundswell of community engagement around this. I really have to give credit to New Hallville, Hamden Strong, um, the group that was formed to address this issue that is being spearheaded and led um, by Jeanette Sykes. Couture has done a lot of work um, and getting things out, educating people, you know, showing up on shows like this, um, having things written up in the New Haven Independent. Um, there has been some news and media coverage early on, um, but the community has definitely voiced their opinion around not wanting a methadone clinic at 794 Dixwell Avenue. Um, and for reasons that we all can understand. Uh, many letters have been written. Uh, they have been in constant contact with the mayor. There's been some communication at the state level uh, with uh, DEMAS, Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, as well as DPH, Department of Public Health. We are monitoring and keeping eyes on this closely because what the mayor reported last night was that they are still in conversation around finding the App Foundation another building so that they can not occupy 794. Dixwell was then able to disclose a lot of information around that because, you know, they're in the process of trying to make something happen there. Uh, my message to the community was that, you know, we need to amp up what we've been doing. We need to have more press and media coverage. We need to actually expand our ally support because, you know, I gave them the example, you know, people may feel like, well, that, that has nothing to do with me. You know, it's not in my community, but we know what happened with the opioid um, um, epidemic. It didn't matter till it hit a certain demographic. And what I can tell you is sooner or later, it will knock on your door. So we want people, not just from New Haven, not just from Hamden, but people around this state that believe and support what we are saying to come out and stand with us. Because you're right, you know, and I was corrected last night because, and I need to find the article because I read an article that was sent to me around the CVS at Whaley and Orchard. And the, the paper said, this, this, this person said he had bought the building and that he was going to bring a methadone clinic there. The mayor said it's not a methadone clinic, that they don't, you know, use methadone, it's a box So, okay, we need to figure out, you know, do they need to go back and, and, and you know, clarify that in the paper and correct it? But um, we don't need a methadone clinic. And you wanna talk about the power to stop it. Yes, I made the point that, you know, if we had been in a white um, area, suburban area, that the minute that hit the paper, they would have been out there with their signs, their bullhorns, they would have been marching up and down in front of that CVS, up and down, you know, Dixwell saying absolutely not. But that's part of it, Ms. Barbara. I think the biggest piece of this is we continue to be subjected to this kind of decimation of our community because we are not voting. Mm -hmm. Your vote matters. And if you don't vote, you don't matter. Mm -hmm. And we had 535,000 people that didn't vote. And I want to say 2020. That's half a million people. So yeah. I'm all for registering people to vote, but I think we need to do a much better job at activating the registered voters that we have and getting them to the polls. Mm -hmm. So, and, and with that, educating them because we also want informed voters. We don't want people absolutely. just going out voting just to be saying, I voted. We need them to be informed voters. And, and a part of that information is um, educating them on how to vote. Because what I've done for years and without ever realizing, I would just push lever A and there's all these people that I voted for that I really didn't intend to vote for, 
but I didn't know any better. I seen the person I wanted to vote for and they was on that line. So I just pushed the lever for everybody. And so that's another thing. A lot of these legislators are staying in office for decades because we don't have the information about how do we vote for the people we want and do not uh, include people in that vote that we're, we definitely did not want to vote for. So we have a lot of um, a lot of education of our voters to be doing too. And we have to make sure we have people that people want to vote for. Because another reason people don't vote is not because they're lazy or uninvolved. It's like, I don't see anybody I want to vote for. So what am I, what am I, what am I going out for? So there's a lot of stuff we got to do in our communities to, to make that vote count. I so agree. thank and you. Education is key. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you for that. Voters. You're yeah. welcome. Okay. Okay. Um, another thing before you go, um, and of the ladies, we're going to get to uh, other parts, but I wanted to get these out real quick before we start talking about election year and, and other things going in our community. Um, can you give us an update on what's going on with Randy Cox? And for those who don't know, um, just give a little... Something about well, Randy Cox Randy is Cox a young is. man who is 36 years old, was taken into police custody in my district. Um, no, you know, no fight, no, no aggression on his part. Everything was handled quite peacefully and, and decently and in order. Um, he was removed from a patrol car, as my understanding, put in a paddy wagon. He was handcuffed. He was, there was no seatbelt, so he wasn't restrained and um, a car came out. And the police officer that was driving the van says that he, you know, slammed on brakes in order to avert an accident. And unfortunately, Randy went headfirst into that steel door um, of the van, and he is currently um, paralyzed from his chest down. Um, and he's been in and out of the hospital. Um, he's fighting infections, you know, temperature, you know, things that go on with your body when you don't have full faculty over your body. And it's been a back and forth thing. Uh, the attorneys just came out and uh, they, they are suing the city for $100 million um, just to cover what they feel would be, I'd say, baseline. Um, and it was reported during the press conference that we just had this week that uh, it would take about 20 to $30 million, just baseline care for him. Nothing fancy, no, no, no bells, no whistles, mm -hmm. just a baseline care. Um, and not to even mention, you know, what he is going through emotionally and spiritually and having to deal with the fact that he was a young and vibrant young man who now may have to be taken care of by his family, predominantly and primarily his mom, for the rest of his life. So that is where we are. And um, just really fighting to make sure that this never happens again, because there have been many Randy Cox, not this particular injury, but there have been injuries, there have been deaths. And we just really need to address what's going on in, in the black community when it comes to policing and um, our humanity, you know, because at the end of the day, this is rooted and grounded in humanity and treating the people the way that you would want to be treated and really living up to that oath to serve and protect no matter what the zip code is. Thank you very much for that. Um, I wanted to, um, um, another thing to tie into our community that all of us can speak to is the issue of, of youth violence. Um, and, and I wanted to hear from everyone um, their ideas around what can we do? Because what I hear a lot of are those knee-jerk uh, reactions from people in our community that really concern me. Um, and their knee-jerk reactions like, um, we got to get tougher on the kids, we got to um, get tougher gun laws, we have to put them in jail with no bail. These are the kind of things that I hear from people in our community about our children. And it's a concern for me because when I spend all this time up in Hartford, I'm, I'm, I'm learning that when we ask for things, they will clearly pass them, but they're gonna selectively enforce them in our communities. It's gonna be our kids that are gonna suffer from it. So that's why I wanted us you know, to just, let's brainstorm about what other people can think about um, as a response to the youth violence. What is it that we're not doing? Um, I, I wanna start with um, Barbara um, and yeah, Barbara Walker, cause you're part of probation too. 
So I know some of these people must uh, must have come through your system. And well, as a community member, period, really. Right. That I just think they're not they're not reaching them where they're at. And they're criminalizing everything. And then when you do have viable programming that's created by us for us, once it becomes successful, that's when they pull the funding. And Saula can speak to exactly what we're talking about. I know you, I don't know if any of you remember when we had uh children of incarcerated parents, we called the CI, mm. CIP to take away the stigma. So that um, was birthed out of this office. And some of the things that I wasn't directly connected to, Sauda was, maybe she could tell you a little bit more about it um, better than I can. But I think having that type of program and that was created for us and by us, and that was very, very successful, is something that's needed till this day. So Sauda, can you kind of speak on that and how we came about doing that? Sure. Um, we, we ran a program for five years called Reading for Reasoning for Children of Incarcerated Parents uh, with the understanding that if we were able, that it was actually the first phase of it. So it was a culturally based program um, that uh, the foundation was the Nguzu Saba, the seven principles of Kwanzaa. And each day carried uh, the principle and along with the curriculum set up so that we're um, reading material that's in, that has um, some relationship to the to the principal and helping the children, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders to um, one lo love to learn to love to read because reading is fundamental and it's the the basis of, of whatever else you're going to stand on. Um, and then we also had um, a clinical psychologist and uh, an MSW on staff to deal with any psychologicals because we, you know, children who are, um, who come out of environments that are stressful and trauma filled um, have to have support. We, you know, so we did wraparound services for the children. We had one-on-one -on -one counseling and we did group counseling. We had them do journaling and um, our, our um, case workers, our case managers reviewed the, the journal so that we could build programming around what we saw as children needs, as their needs, things that they we saw manifesting out of these journals. And what we found um, is that one, the behavior changed they in school, they they just they're better, they 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 were better behaved. They um, participated in classroom uh, work. They learned to love to read. In fact, they started they started choosing their own books. They loved the, the interaction. Um, I did one special program with the boys. It was actually poetry, but I called it rap. And I went back to people like Conti Cullen and, and a lot of our historical writers during the Black Renaissance, but I didn't call it poetry for them. And we would recite it. And we went all the way up to present day with Jay-Z and some of the, the um, a lot of that, um, of their um, poetry, because that's what it is. I don't care what you call it, it's still poetry. And the boys really enjoyed it. They started writing their own and they, be, they were empowered. They even created their own student government. They empowered themselves. And when they went back to school, it showed. They learned how to deal with the issues that they had been struggling with. And then um, we helped them with the education piece. So now they're reading, because some of the kids came to us and they couldn't read but they left us reading and it empowered them. So it went to class. A lot of our eighth graders actually got into some of the better schools in New Haven. Mm -hmm. Now, this is what happened, why the program um, uh, was not um, funded after five years. And we also had a Yale um, study done at, to show our successes. Um, we had um, one of the reviewers, now mind this is after five years, say, um, well, isn't Kwanzaa a religion? Uh, no, it's not a religion. Take a moment and read what Dr. Karenga wrote, and you will know that it's not a religion. So we, this is a, this is some of what happens when we are successful. Um, we get pushback from the people who are funding, and we weren't even getting a lot of money uh, for this program, but we were showing really great success. Mm. Um, but I wanted to just add a little bit to what you were saying. Um, having been in in uh, both on the probation side, education and then alternative learning. One of the issues that have, that comes out of our community, remember um, our communities, um, everything was stripped of them. Um, in Bridgeport, I'll speak from Bridgeport. Um, when the, the black migration occurred from the South 
to the north. And the cities became filled with people, black people specifically. You had the white flight into the suburbs. Mm -hmm. So as the white flight moved into the suburbs, the defunding occurred. So they pulled money out of the school systems. They pulled money out. They, the, the, the factories and businesses started closing up, folding up slowly. So now you have no jobs. You have a, a, a very uh, poor education system. And you don't have any support. So you get the, the change in, in, um, in direction and you get the police, you get schools that are set up like um, mini prisons and you have people going directly at our children. And we can, we can pinpoint the moment that happened in our urban communities, the very moment when that changed. So what we have to do is one of the things that Bridgeport did, um, we were the second school district in the entire country. And I'm gonna tell you, it took 12 years to do this. To, and you would think that because you, and I'm, I'm just gonna add this, you would think that because you have people that look like you sitting at the table with you, they would understand what's necessary. Mm. No, and I agree with you, um, sister, because th these folk that look like us don't have our best interests at heart. Mm. And we really have to become discerning voters. We have to be able to go to the poll. Education is important. But the point I'm making is that um, we, we were the second district in the state, of, uh, in the entire country, second district, to require that students graduate with either taking African-American studies or Caribbean Latinx studies. And we had to fight like, like we were committing some crime to make this happen because the majority of the children who attend our public schools are Black and Hispanic. So why would they not graduate with, their, with knowledge of their people? These are the, this is like a, this is the war we're in, the battles and, and the war that we're in to save our people. And education is important. What um, a, a sister um, in, in Georgia is doing, Stacey Abrams with her playbook. If you haven't got her playbook, I'm telling you now, go get her playbook. It is on it. the um, internet and read it. We're using it in Bridgeport to build capacity in our community, to be able to change the politics of our city. And that's, and 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 she's she she's showing she's showing us the way. Mm -hmm. But this is everything you say is absolutely on target, and this is what we have to do, and this is how we make a change for our people in our community because nobody else is going to do it but us. You're right. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. And and um like and like the title of our show, this is about black women empowering black women because, like you said, we have to do the work. No one else is going to do it for us. So with that, I'm going to bring in our youngest person in the Connecticut legislation. And that's what we're really hoping for, to get more and more young people who are intelligent as Renee Trené is and know uh, what has to be done and will uh, decide to serve um, um, with people like Robin uh, Guidener. So uh, Ms. McGee, will you uh, come in and give us what you think uh, we're not doing right when it comes to um, our kids, our children? Um, sure. And what can we do better? Sure, and thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm just honestly just absorbing like a sponge, taking in everything I possibly can. This, this conversation is empowering to me, so it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Um, I, you know, as a huge proponent of the arts, um, I, I believe the arts is medicinal and I've seen arts be extrapolated from our communities. Um, Gen Z and millennials are naturally creative. Um, a large part of, I think statistically, they say that like over 50% of millennials, even though they have jobs are in some way content creators. So they're creating their Put it, producing things for um, musicians, their writing, poetry, um, as well as Gen Z. They spend a lot of time on TikTok. And I don't know if you've ever been on TikTok, but TikTok is like kind of a beast. Like there are so many elements to it. And they're producing music and dance and rhythm day every single day to sort, sort of, you know, release and interpret things. And, um, and so I've always believed that, that the arts really is um, one of the most powerful ways to combat some of the challenges that we face um, within our communities. And oftentimes we don't have access to the arts. They'll put football in our communities, but they won't put dance. They won't put uh, visual arts. Um, they won't put um, creative writing, literature, like all of those 
powerful things. Um, and, you know, I have an acting studio. So sometimes like I'll leave the door open and just talk to young guys. And occasionally there'll be a young man say, I've never acted before, but I think I'll be good at it. And then kids are in these environments and they're so extremely talented, but they wouldn't know they had that ability if they didn't have that opportunity. So I think when kids are given multiple resources and, you know, access to so many different things, um, it obviously it takes them out of uh, elements, not only uh, physically, but even creatively in imagination, kids have, they find outlets in the creative space that helps them to stay out of violent places. Um, I was a theater teacher in the New Haven Public School System and I taught through Lone Wolf Theater. We traveled around the state. And one of the programs that I was most proud of was our after-school program because we had a lot of latchkey kids. And so kids had the opportunity to choose between like band and there was like some form of graffiti art in, in theater. And a lot of what kids were creating or writing or directing was based around their lives. And it, it was more than a coping mechanism. Um, not only did it help them cope, but it actually built emotional intelligence. So it helped them to stabilize and control their emotions. Um, and that to me, I think is, is so important. But, but then when you look at where, you know, acting classes are, or dance classes are, we have, a, we have a wealth of dance classes, but I mean like acting classes and poetry and creative writing, a lot of them are in the suburbs. Mm. Um, and they are, they're well-funded because a lot of them are funded by their parents or private sources or businesses. Um, and then our communities, like I said earlier, the first thing that they come to do is take away the arts. Um, mm. And I think the arts gives a lot of uh, our kids access, but even football players take ballet for balance. Um, you know, so I think, I think um, with kids having more access to many different things, it takes them creatively out of violent spaces. And also, you know, I think there's this, there's this, um, I love to share this statistic because to me, it, it sort of conveys the message of where young people are. Um, and between 67 and 75% of millennials will buy a product from a company if they know that a percentage of the profit goes to um, a nonprofit organization that um, deals with something they truly care about. So, you know, for example, anytime I'm in the store and I can contribute a dollar to St. Jude, I will. But it was cool to find out that people my age do that all the time, like whether it's um, for um, urban plant, urban community gardens or animals or the environment, um, we'll donate because we really care. And so I think a large part of media and society has uh, sort of made us to believe that we're dealing with like a violent, um, you know, not able to communicate, not able to express themselves generation when in reality, statistics tell us that in fact, we are very caring and empathetic and, um, you know, we may not take any crap, but we really do care about, about our communities and those within our communities. Um, and so I think, I think those are some of the things that we can really do to not only change the course of direction of the things that we give young people access to, but even the conversations that we're having about young people. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, when did, and, and thank you very much for that, because when we talk to, uh, or even when I talk to people about um, the root causes um, of what's going on in our community. And I talk about how we failed our kids in so many ways. You know, people look at me like I'm some Pollyanna because I'm, I'm not agreeing with uh, let's get more punitive with the kids. I, because I, I, I was a child, I raised kids. So I know these kids are not born to be violent. They, these are things that are in the environment because like Ms. Barack said, they have stripped our communities of so much. I look at the community that kids are in today. And I think about when my kids were growing up, when we had roller skating in, in, right in, in, in the community, we had bowling, we had teen centers, we had um, indoor movies, we had an outdoor movie. We had all of these things in our communities and they all got stripped away. And like you said, now for our kids to enjoy any of these things, they have to go to suburbs. Why is that? We have a mayor in our city that I know people, myself personally, young people have gone to and put forth proposals to do, you know, have some of these arts and things in the community and they get shut down. So it just leaves me thinking that we don't really want to solve youth violence. And when you look at how many people are benefiting from this violence in our community, 
you have to wonder, do they really want to stop the violence or, or not? So uh, uh, Robin, I want you to uh, step in because I see your hand up. Yeah, I just wanted to chime in real quick. I definitely agree with all that's been stated. Um, but the, you know, we have criminalized childhood behavior. We have mm -hmm. also criminalized poverty. So when we talk about violence, um, youth violence in particular, any kind of violence, mm -hmm. if we want to eradicate this stuff, we want to see the gangs dissipated. We want to see the gun violence gone. We have to address poverty. You mm -hmm. know, our communities are deserts when it comes to resources, food deserts, job deserts. I mean, recreational deserts, like, yeah, community centers. You know, every neighborhood should have their own community center because unfortunately, we our children do have to face gang violence. And, you know, certain groups can't go on certain sides of this town. And until we can change that, we have to meet these kids where they are and we have to give them what they need. This is not even a matter of what is it do you want? And, and, and if we're going to talk about children and we're going to talk about youth violence, we must bring them to the table. The people closest to the problems or closest to the solutions, but oftentimes furthest from the power. It is our job as adults, responsible adults in the village to make sure that we are empowering our kids with the tools they're going to need to go out into these streets and make wise decisions positive decisions that are not going to land them, you know, in the hands of law enforcement, because then we know what happens. Yes. I will say that, you know, when we talk about urban trauma, we have to look at restorative justice because we know punishment does not work. Punitive will only have you buckle down and rebel and, and, and just want to, you know, do what you want to do, no matter what's going to happen. So policy is important. Laws are important. But they're not going to stop what's happening in our community. Let's be honest. Just like this talk about all these cameras, you know, in the community meeting last night, I heard a couple of people say, you know, we need more cameras. They were manifesting, you know, more cameras in our community. I, I don't know about everybody else, but if you ever look, you see footage and videos on social media where people have the ring and people are coming up on their porches, either broad daylight or with their porch lights on right? You can see these folks and they're actually trying to break in people's houses. So if they're doing that and you have a ring and a camera that you can actually turn over to the police and this is still happening, I don't believe the cameras in our community is going to solve the problem. Yeah. We have to get on these streets. We have to get on these corners. We have to take them back. We have to roll up our sleeves. We have to love our children through their pain, through their misery, through whatever it is they're going through. And we have to give them the resources that they need around therapy, mm. clinical therapy to address the PTSD, the depression, the anxiety. Mm. And that goes for adults as well, because a lot of this stuff is generational because this is the bubble they put us in. And these are the circumstances that have been dealt to us. And then they want to blame the victim. And yes. I don't think that that is fair. You know, hurt people, hurt people, wounded people wound people. And I think we have to take a, a, a good hard look at that. And the other thing, you know, um, Ms. Walker and uh, Ms. Baraka were talking about the program that they had, and we was actually having a discussion last night. And I was fascinated to hear, you know, because I know what Believe in Me does in this community, but I didn't know how much they've done. I know what they're doing, but like when you look back over the decades you know what I'm saying? The positive impact that they have had on this community. The fact that that corner is lit. The drug dealers are gone. Police have been able to come and use their surveillance cameras to solve crimes in that community, in our community. I mean, these are the folks that should be getting funded. You know, we throw dollars at programs that are not producing any positive incomes, um, outcomes. And then we have a, a, a nonprofit in our community like Believe in Me that actually comes with receipts. They have a proven track record. So we got to make sure that we're not, we need to build a village where we are not totally dependent. And I say this mm -hmm. totally on the front end, because my dream is that we will become a, a, a um, community and a village that is self-sustainable financially, economically, you know, around education, around social, all of that. 
We need to be able to fund ourselves so that they can't pull the purse strings once we become successful, because that is a technique of sabotage. And it actually undermines what it is we're trying to do to advance our people. And we know this country was built on our backs. We are geniuses. There was nothing. There's been no movement that has ever been established that has not been birthed out of the bowels of Black women. So when you talk about Black women empowering Black women, we have work to do. But I am very grateful for the Black women, um, you know, on this panel today. And, And I really do thank you for the opportunity for us to have this conversation. We've got to get in these streets. We have to educate our people. We got to get back to loving on our babies. We got to hug them. We got to encourage them. You know, it's self-esteem, it's self-confidence. That's what I heard when Saudi was talking. I was like, they were building self-confidence and self-esteem. You carry yourself different when you feel good about yourself. You carry yourself different when you got clean clothes on. And it's the things that we take for granted that many of these babies, and I call them babies, I don't care what age they are, because if you have never been nurtured and cared for and trained up in the way that you should go, you're a baby mentally. Mm-hmm. So we have to meet them where they are and we have to meet them with TLC. We can't mm-hmm. meet them, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. Some of them do need to be, you know, arrested and dealt with. Mm-hmm. We have to be honest about that. But that's but because we, in we a have not. Way. Right. But that's because mm-hmm. we have not done our job on the front end. Right. And I need for more adults in our community to take responsibility for that and then come forward with some action that is gonna help to change the trajectory of these children's lives because we talk about kids of the future. Nah, these children are right now. And if we don't get it right now, we won't have a future. Thank you, Robin. You've given me so much to to, to think about, but I wanna uh, also, before I bring in um, Barbara and Sade again, I wanna talk about, uh, just mention, cause you were talking about um, uh, communities coming together and all the work that we have to do. Um, next Wednesday, September 5th at the Stetson Library, five o'clock, there's, there's, um, there's going to be a program that um, Jackie James Boyd and her husband are putting together to address uh, people when they come home, including the families. Because we talk about people who've been formerly incarcerated, but what about, what about the, the resources for the families? Because they need uh, a lot also. So I want to turn it over to both of the people in probation, because I know probation officers have a role when, as an alternative to incarceration and also um, when people um, go to prison and have to come out and what kind of resources um, are available to actually help people um, um, and, and the probation services. Well, what I think is what I find is, yeah, they have the resources, but the only people that are being offered those resources don't look like us. They don't. When you're sitting up there and you got a file of five files, and this is a white kid, white woman, you got one of a black woman, same charges. Mm -hmm. She's in jail. She gets the resources. And there lies the problem. That's one of the issues I found. I'm sure Saúl will agree. And that's why when we envision, believe in me, everything you just said, we were meeting the parents, we were talking to the parents, because as we engaged with the children, the parents started coming around and volunteering and sharing and all those things. And I know Saul could attest to this, but we didn't just go after any kid. We went after the worst of the worst. Mm. And we were able to make inroads with the worst of the worst, the kids that says nobody can do anything with them, right? But we also created a program called SWAG, where we went after the kid who wouldn't necessarily be getting in trouble, but he would not also be afforded what we had to offer because he wasn't getting in trouble. So Mm. the kids getting in trouble, they going on farms and stuff, but the kid is just trying to do the right thing and maintain is not getting anything. So we built SWAG around those kids that they're good kids, they're not in the system, but why don't we do the same thing for them? Why should they used to have to be penalized because they didn't commit a crime? Right. And I think Saúl can speak a little more to that. Um, yeah, the, 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 the idea behind working with children is the biggest part is listening. Um, we wanna be able to hear what they have to say, um, asking questions um, and then listening for what they see as their success. One of the questions we would ask is how do you define success? 
what does success mean to you? And the children would come back with some real legitimate responses. And from that, we build programming around, just like you said, um, Representative um, uh, uh, Robin, that we want to make sure that what people are saying to us, we deliver to them. Um, also, the, the culturally based piece, we know based on research that people respond when they know that they're that it's culturally sensitive and culturally based. They can identify with it. When there are people sitting or standing in front of them that look like them, that they can identify with, they do better. So when we're developing programming, I believe in me, we're a African-American based program. And we come from an Afrocentric perspective to deal with, communicate with, and have expectations for the people we serve because we're serving them. We're not administering to them and we're not telling them we're serving them. And we've done things within the program with our adults. I'll back up a second. When we were doing the youth program, the second phase of that program was we were going to bring the parents or the caregivers in because oftentimes the young people are with caregivers, either um, extended family um, or some other support system. So we wanted to bring the adults into the program and begin to do exactly what we were just talking about. How do we um, help those families? But before we can help anybody, we have to listen. We have to hear what it is they need. And then we have to develop programming around that. N things cannot happen top down. We can't have the people who cause the problem saying they have the solution. Right. They don't have a solution for the problem you created. You created the problem. So we now have to fix it, but we can't fix it unless we talk to the people who this impacts. Um, just as you were saying, Representative McGee, that we don't listen to our younger people. We have to open up and listen. Um, and and he, not just listen, but hear and then act. Once we hear them and they tell us what they want, then we need to create the programming to be able to impact them. So that's part of what Believe in Me has been doing. Um, and, and in every program that we develop, because we have a program at 320 Shelton Avenue and, and the first floor is a cultural center. And that the idea there is to be able to bring the community in and to address issues um, around, and culture doesn't necessarily mean, um, it, it does mean art, music, uh, dance, but it also means the culture of a community. That means politics. How do we interact with the people who have say over our lives? Mm -hmm. So how do we teach people to stand up and testify before a commission or before a board? How do we build capacity in them so that they're able to feel strong and to be able to speak their truth? These are the things that we have to begin to do and that we have been doing. Um, but it's been piecemeal because we have to beg and fight for dollars. We would not have been funded um, for that program the first time had it not been for um, Representative um, Barbara, help me out because I'm such bad with names. He's the one that went to um, the legislature or to CS, um, um, Connecticut State um, University and got us the resources to building bridges. Dyson, yeah, Dyson. Representative Dyson. Dyson. We had to sit him, sit down with him, and he then went and got the money. We presented the pro because we applied and we couldn't get any money. We had to sit with him, and he went and helped us get the money, and we were able to run that program until he left. And that's yeah. that's when that's everything when, yeah. fell apart. Mm -hmm. And what happened was CIP. So a million dollar came out um, for children and incarcerated parents. So instead of them either splitting it or giving it to us, they once the million dollars came on the table, they just took it. They just took it. Where did they send it to Soda? Well, they, they decided they no longer wanted to do direct service. So what they did is they wanted to do more research. Um, I, I don't have a problem with research, but I think we're researched enough. We've yes. already, we know what the problem is in our community and we know how to fix it. And so one of the, th and, and because we had, the track record, and because we had the um, the evaluation that had been conducted by um, Yale, we could show where we were being impactful and we were changing lives. So when we came, when we went to them to expand the program, 
and we inter we connected with a, uh, a couple of other agencies. So we were doing a big, we were going to do um, more of a universal uh, move with the, with the new money. They decided, no, we don't want that. We don't want direct service. We're going to go research. And then they found a program, I think it was in Cheshire or something. And they, uh, no, it was, it was um, uh, Big Brother, Big Sister, I think they gave the money to for research. And then nobody ever heard anything else about it again. Mm -hmm. And and this is the problem. Um, and, and that's, again, going back to how do we um, mobilize our community for what are the, for the things that we need to have done. That's how we mobilize the community by saying, um, here are the issues. You're telling, you tell us this is the issue. These are the issues. We then go and we push that issue out. Um, and I'll say this because I didn't say in the beginning, um, I'm the chairperson for the uh, Bridgeport Working Families Town Committee. And that's part of the work we're doing. And that is grassroots movement, empowering the people, organizing the community, getting people, addressing issues. If, if there's a bombshell out there, we're going to toss it out there and say, this, this is what's going on. And, and it, so that we can motivate people. And that's part of what we do at Believe in Me Empowerment. We address the issues. Um, the, the agency never closed during COVID. The agency was one of the, probably one of two or three agencies that stayed open throughout the entire time, impacting and affecting and assisting and serving the community, the greater New Haven community, specifically the New Hallville Dixwell community. And if we don't, if we can't, if we don't have people who will lobby and argue for us, um, if we don't have people who will come to the table and fight, that's our job. We we will mobilize the community and make it happen. Mm -hmm. We'll make sure that the people who come to see us understand that there's a reason that there's a reason that this happens, and the reason it happens is because we have resources, and the resources come from outside our community, mm -hmm. and those com and that those resources are at the state or local level, and we need you as a community go in there and fight the battle to ensure that programs like Believe in Me stay in place to continue to serve our community. Because if we okay. don't do it, again, nobody else will. Okay, now my, my challenge is really coming in now because we have very few minutes left and I really wanted to talk about politics, uh, some things that I'm seeing. Um, for one thing, I want to add, I just want to put this out here, Robin, because uh, I've been noticing this lately, and I, I think I know why it's happening. Maybe you can explain. Um, like, I've you, you're everywhere. That's how I used to be. Everywhere you go, every meeting, you're there. Yeah, when I read articles later about it, I don't need, I wouldn't even know you were there. So I know what, I know they do that too. The media will ice you out. But I'm wondering, are you feeling that within the state legislature as well? Because I don't know. It just seems like there's a vibe going in there that it's like Robin is the, the bad guy for standing up for us. I don't know. Just just tell me what's going on, because I'm just observing from outside. Well, I mean, I have made the same observations that you've made, um, and I've had other people say the same thing that you just said. Um, because they've actually been at events and, you know, you know, read the articles and were like, dang, they had an elected official, you know, and there was no mention, no quote, no picture, you know, or maybe they said your name, but oftentimes that's not even the case. So um, there is ramifications, you know, there is definitely ramifications for operating the way that I operate. Um, I, I, I always said right out the gate, the special election that I won this seat in, you know, my my lit that I was mailing out said, you know, not politics as usual. You know, technically, am I a politician? Sure, that's what they call me. But I more feel like a stateswoman. And I've been told by some elders in this business that that, that is really what you are, um, a public servant, you know, and, and I serve from my heart and, and, and I serve in truth and I stand in truth. And it takes courage to do that. But um, you get beat down. And I am called the troublemaker. That is actually, you know, what they call me at the Capitol. Here comes trouble. And they've actually said, oh, here comes trouble. What kind of trouble are you getting in now? And I thank God for the good congressman. God rest his soul because it is good trouble and it is necessary trouble. Um, and it does, it's disheartening because there's a lot of what Saul just shared with us. You know, we have people that are supposed to be fighting for us on the strength of our needs. You know, what we need in our communities, what our children need in education, health care. All of that stuff straight across the board. You can take a look at the committees. 
There's not one thing that we do in that building that does not touch people's lives. But um, there is a machine, right? Uh, there are rules, and I say air quotes because I'm told to follow the rules and play by the rules. And then I see people that don't follow the rules, break the rules, or just make some new rules. We just don't change the rules on you. But yet, when I'm operating, I'm all you know. Oftentimes, it's oh, you need to you know play by the and you 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 know you gotta play play the game. And I'm like, I didn't come to play the game. Right. I came to change the game. You know, and, and we, we often say, you know, be the change you want to see. But when you exercise that, you get you get punished for that, mm -hmm. you know. And I think a lot of what I'm experiencing is, you know, the backlash behind having a backbone, yeah. you know, standing up when nobody else wants to stand up. I stand up when when you and I'm not saying things that people don't want to say. You know, like people will tell me in the background, girl, I agree with you, you know, or we'll be all together having this conversation and everybody is gung ho. And when we hit the floor, I'm, 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 I'm up. Right. But when I turn mm -hmm. around, it's like where my people are. So I just want to give credit to what they've coined themselves to be in that building, the Porta Posse. You know who you are. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for all the support that I get in these streets, because I tell you, I said it last night. I feel the only reason I'm still in office is because of the support that I get from my community, from my constituents, and from around the state of Connecticut. And okay, I have to say, less Democrats, let me just say this though, Democrats and Republicans. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a one party support that I, I have. I have mm -hmm. the support of both parties. And I believe that Democrats aren't always right and Republicans aren't always wrong. And we need to work together. Okay, we're gonna get ready to get cut off. So I just just wanted to hurry up if I can get in 30 seconds uh, to say that there's this thing, this um, chance that we got now um, black to vote. And I say, let's black the, the power struggle inside of uh, these institutions and these systems of justice. When we black that, that's something to be proud of instead of supporting those people that we know don't care nothing about us. And yet our, our black organizations will go out and push them. How about we push some of our own people to be in those positions of real power? And Ms. Baraka, I'm gonna hopefully get you in for it, but I know we're running out. Oh, I gotta say bye. Sorry, thank you so much, ladies. I It was thank a you. real challenge. Thank you. But goodbye. Thank and you. Right. Care. Thank bye -bye. you. Love you guys. Have a blessed day. Yes. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you're going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you're gonna be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version Whoa. I'm never gonna give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah Cause this is my role. Camera action already to go